You are listening to World of Noise right here on X-Ray FM, where radio is yours. I'm your host, Bob Ham. Yes, once again, in the midst of this pandemic, X-Ray continues to produce new programs, many of us working from our homes to put them together. This week's World of Noise, for example, I recorded both interviews you'll hear on this episode via Skype and edited and recorded everything else from my home office. And so many of the other DJs and producers on the station are doing the same. So if you want to support our efforts during these trying times and beyond, please consider heading to xray.fm and clicking on our blue donate button and becoming a member to help keep programs like World of Noise and X-Ray in the Morning and Blazer's Edge and Heavy Breather on the air and entertaining and informing you as you shelter at home. Again, xray.fm, click on the blue donate button and show your support to X-Ray because after all, radio is yours. Now, let's get on with the show. Singer-songwriter Olivia Aubrey took the plunge a little while ago to make music and art her full-time professions. This is after years of placing them as a sideline to her day job as a social worker. Up until about a month ago, that seemed like a sensible decision. And in a better world, this interview and her upcoming show at the Dugfer Lounge would be just the start of a big push toward getting her tremendous new album, Dishonorable Harvest, the attention it deserves. And it more than likely will generate some acclaim from fans and critics. The new album was partially recorded in the UK and feels steeped in that country's long history of impassioned guitar rock with elements of dreaminess and anger. But her lyrics are almost entirely about the plight of her home country, poking not so gently at the right-wing administration and questioning our supposed support for environmental and social causes. In other words, Dishonorable Harvest comes along at the exact right time and the exact wrong time, as it offers up some much-needed perspective on the state of our political landscape, but she can't get the message to the people. Many of her scheduled tour dates, including what would have been an appearance at this year's Sled Island Festival, which she mentions during an interview, have all been cancelled. So far, her Doug Fur show on the 19th is still on the books, but as you already know, things could change at any minute. So be sure to keep an eye on Olivia's Facebook page or the Doug Fur website to verify that the show will actually go on. Olivia Aubrey was kind enough to take some time out of her quarantine to hop on Skype and talk about her new album, and as we begin, how the coronavirus has affected her artistic efforts. funny because I feel like I spent like self-quarantined for like the whole like winter because I've been sitting at home like booking my tour right. and when I'm not when I'm not touring I, I do work from home I, I like have some writing projects and I book my band and that kind of thing so when we got the news to like like before everything started shutting down I started saying things like in Washington, and I was like, we're going to have to cancel our entire album release tour. Right. <laughs> Everyone's like, no, it's going to be fine. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be fine. So we would be right now gearing up to go on like a month and a half long tour, but um, not anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been, I mean, you've caught me like at a good time now, but like the last couple of days, have just been 
you know, everyone's taking some time, I think, to like mourn the loss of like, oh God, this work that we've all been looking forward to and planning and that kind of thing. It just kind of got ripped away. Um, so, but obviously there are so many other things to like think about. So there are like uh, so many other like social implications and more like at risk populations and that kind of thing. So. Right. Yeah. But I think, you know, everything that you're talking about here and everything that has happened to artists around the world dovetails nicely into the article that you wrote for Vortex about, you know, the struggle of being a modern artist mm. where you have to constantly be online and constantly promoting yourself. And uh, to have all that just sort of stopped must be a weird feeling. Um, yes, <laughs> it's super weird. Um, I don't know. Um I mean, the the world for, like, small artists revolves around playing live. And that's how people generally make their living. Um, and generally, yeah, like self-promotion, it's not something that you get paid for, but it is a thing that goes along with playing live. So, yeah, when the, when the live aspect is taken away, it kind of takes away, like, the entire job. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people are just sitting in standstill right now, and um, including myself. And I just spent the morning, like, talking to my band and to um, festival organizers and other, like, promoters and stuff who we've been working with about, like, we want to, we you know, some festivals like Tree Fort, they've postponed until September, and that seems, like, pretty safe. But even then, you know, we see on the news, like, well, things could be at a standstill for, like, 18 months. We don't know. Like, we just, you know, not to, like, put people into a panic, but just realistically, like, these are what, like, health, like, public health officials and, like, statisticians are saying that things will, and economists, too, you know, like, things will slow. So, at, at this point, everyone is just sitting around and, I don't know, trying to, <laughs> trying to, like... <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to like learn cover songs I've been putting off for like <laughs> months. Um, anyway, so yeah, it's a scary, it's a really hard time to like, I mean, it's a hard time for a lot of people. It's a hard time for families and, you know, folks who need to look out for their, for parents and that kind of thing. I think it's like important to keep that at the center of the conversation, but, but yeah, it's, it's like drastically just, I don't know. It's I read a really good analogy in an article um, about someone saying for musicians, it's like a farmer losing their crop. Like you spend all this time preparing, especially if you're like trying to release something. And then to have that kind of like ripped away is uh, like, yeah, I can only imagine if we were actually farmers, it's probably more devastating, but it it, it, it is like pretty devastating. So. It really is. Now, until recently, you had a day job, isn't that right? Yeah, up until actually a year actually a year ago is when I left. I, w I, I was a social worker before this, before a musician. So, I mean, I've always been a musician on the side, but a year ago was when I left to really put this this project into like full swing. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm finding that those skills are coming back. <laughs> <laughs> for sure <laughs> like emotional regulating and talking about boundaries and like making sure people feel safe um is like super important right now so 
Well, will you be able to sort of keep not working a normal job? I mean, you do, like you said, uh, some work on the side, but are you going to have to, are you worried about having to get back into that world, about applying for jobs and having to make ends meet again? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people are like, you. yeah, I've already been like, cool, I need to apply for some jobs because I'm like, you know, some yeah, some people are in, you know, everyone's in different situations, but yeah, I've already thought about like, well, I do have lots of skills. I can just apply for a job. And that is, I mean, to me, that's, I, it sounds horrible, I guess, if you've spent so much time working to like launch your music career, but I've always worked multiple jobs. <laughs> that's just like part <laughs> of my life. Like I've always worked full time and done music on the side up until a year ago. So, I mean, me heading back into that, into a different workforce is like, that might suck, but also I still consider music to be such a wonderful, like luxury job, even though it's really, really hard. And I'm not saying it's easy, but it is still like, you know, um, anyway. So that's, I mean, I say that to myself because it helps me like put some perspective on it um but yeah i mean i'm yeah i'm super worried about what it's going to do to musicians who don't have safety nets and that kind of thing but at the same time like there are so many resources for people that are coming together um to support musicians and i think that that's really cool i don't know if you've seen any of the like you've probably seen like the you know the online live shows yeah some bands are some bands are doing those and making like people are supporting them. People are like donating hundreds of dollars already. And so, I mean, anyway, so like there's the realistic slash fear side of like, what does this mean? But then there's also the like other side where like people definitely need music and need entertainment, especially right now. If everyone is stuck at home. And so it's like, it is an absolutely wonderful time to like, order your favorite band's t-shirt or album. If you haven't gotten it, you can like, I'm, I've been encouraging people to pre-order my album. Um, and hopefully people won't have to make huge changes in their careers, uh, just to keep going. But I think it's all so unpredictable that I, you know, we just don't know. Right. Um, yeah, and I'm I am really I am very lucky in that like I have a really incredible support system here in Portland, and I do some freelance writing. So like I'm super lucky. I have a couple of like options, but a lot of people don't. Um, that's and true. So that's you know. Anyway, yeah. If there's one thing to do right now is just to support people who like really are in that position of that's their whole life. And some people just tour all the time and they'll definitely need the support. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, let's t- turn this into uh, more of a positive conversation. <laughs> positive? About, yeah, because I want to talk about yeah. your new album, uh, Dishonorable Harvest, which is fantastic, by the way. Um, Thank you. You recorded a chunk of it here in Portland, and then you recorded a bunch of it in London. Uh, how did those yeah. UK sessions come about? How did those two sessions come about? How the the UK sessions? Oh, how they come? Um, yeah. So, funny story, but yes, 
uh, a couple, a few years ago, I guess it was a couple of years ago, I, um, I was working as a social worker and um, had saved up like a, a, just a nice little amount to like do something fun for myself. And I um, took myself on a super nerdy like music thing, music vacation. And um, I found like a, a cheap ticket to go to London to see some shows of a band that I like really admired. Um, and they were really small, so they couldn't like tour here or anything. Um, their name, the band's name was Chris TT and the Hood Rats. Again, super small, but like I just loved them so much from afar. So I went over to see their final shows because they were like ending as a band. And I was like, oh, no, I've never seen them live. And I like care so much about live music that I found like a really cheap ticket and went over and saw them and just spent like three days over there. Ended up like becoming really good friends with all of them because they were like, why did you fly here? That's so insane. I'm like, yeah, I know. totally stupid but also I don't care Um, and um, when we became close and we kept in touch and it just kind of yeah I don't know it unraveled into like a friendship and then like I just really respect them all as musicians and they've had they've worked with some really incredible people and asked if they'd want to be involved in this record and they were like yeah, absolutely. So I, yeah. So I, I wanted to make sure that my band was involved here too. Cause I feel like that's, it's important to like be involved, I think in your direct community um, and support the people here. But then also I was like, can we also <laughs> spend some time over there? So I went alone and, and recorded with Chris, um, and CJ Thorpe Tracy and Jen Macro and John Clayton. And um, I mean, you know, just as, just like here, they're just folks in the music scene who are really active and just like incredible people and incredible humans. So that's that's how it came about. So I did like a, I did like a crowdfunder, which was amazing and went well. And then I also like, I applied for a couple of grants through the city and I got those. And so, um, I don't know, people never really talk about like the money side of things. You know, people don't talk about like all the, like, it's kind of the boring stuff that goes into it, but I think it's important. <laughs> but it's important to say, oh, yeah. to show like, you know, like. It you know it wasn't some weird like fabricated like oh I've got a bunch of money and I'm gonna like just do this for fun you know it was like over a couple of years of planning and being like okay how could I fund this how could I make this come about and 
it felt good to do it that way. And also, like, there are musicians over there that I, like, had listened to for so long that it was just like, wow, I can't pass this up. Like, they like my music. I, like, admire them. I'm going to do that. So that's how it happened. Well, I was going to say, it is important to say that, you know, uh, you are a, you know, a DIY artist. Like, I, I, you know, you said that you, you know, went through Kickstarter to help fund these recording sessions. You're releasing it on your own label. So it's not like you yeah. were getting some advance from some label to be like, oh, sure, go over to London for three months and record a record. Yeah. So it's like something you really pieced together. Oh, 100% pieced together. It's, it was the most stressful thing I've ever done in my life. And I probably won't do that again anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, not to get too, you know, detailed into it, but like, you know, several panic attacks and tears and just all kinds of things went into like making that happen. And I look back on that, I'm like, wow, I was like, so set on that idea and was just like kind of fixated on it. And I don't know if that was good or bad, but it ended up working. <laughs> um, and I'm really happy. Like I'm, I have, yeah, I, yeah, it definitely, it's still very much a DIY operation. I'm still just like, you know, I did start my own label, but it's me sitting in my room, like <laughs> working on stuff and doing a lot, like doing a lot of admin work and a lot of coordinating on my own and still making time to like make the music and like rehearse with my band and like get ready to go on the road. So yeah, it's, it's just been, it's just been kind of insane. Like from when I quit my job to now, it's just been it's turned into a full-time, full-time job. And it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, but yeah, very much DIY still. And I it's hard, but I also am really enjoying like what I'm learning and really liking the people that I'm meeting as well through it. It's just been like yeah, it's just been uh so far really good experience. I'm changing planes. Where do, you, where do you think that comes from for you, that that uh, ambition to want to do all of this yourself rather than, you know, f- farming it out or paying a lot of... I mean, I know you've paid someone to do promotion work for you, but, you mm-hmm. know, where, where does this come from, this this uh, this sense of wanting to handle everything on your own? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think I have been organizing shows and doing DIY stuff since I was like 19 and I'm 29. So it's been 10 years of me living in this world and it's become so normal um, for me to handle that side of things. Like in the bands that I was in and in college and stuff, like I did all that work and I I've always been like the, person who organized not only wrote all the songs but then also organized all of the other things that bands should do and if they want to like really get out there not that anyone no one needs to do anything like everything I'm doing is completely like just a choice you know but um I don't know I think it probably just comes from I'm I don't know I've always worked really hard I've always 
like, I don't know. I, in school, I was just very diligent. I was like a super nerd. I did all my homework. <laughs> like, I've always wanted to like cross my teeth and dot my eyes and um, probably comes a lot of it probably comes from my mom, to be honest. She is a hard worker and she is very much been like, if you want to do something, you should do it. Like, you know, you need to like put in the work for that. And I'm not saying that, you know, I don't judge people who don't have that same view, you know, perspective. There's like so many ways to do music and I'm getting to a point where like I certainly need some help. Um, so having a label or something would like someone else handle some of those things would be excellent. But I also know that I have learned so much about music, like the music industry and like how, what's a good way to put out an album that I also, I'm, I kind of enjoy having the reins right now. Um, I think it's, I'm enjoying choosing how much of the industry I'm a part of and how little, if that makes sense. Like, Mm -hmm. I think if you link up with a larger um, label, you, you, you would definitely get more access to different resources. But in my case, um, I don't know. There's only, I don't know. There's all, there's only so much of certain parts of the music industry that I like to be involved in. And, um, as someone who I just really, I just really enjoy writing a good song and focusing on the music. And so I know this sounds, it sounds counterintuitive, but I think me being in the control of how it's released and when and where and with who kind of allows me to feel like a lot freer and when it comes to the songwriting Um, and um, I don't know, but I could be wrong. You know, that's just might be my own. I don't know. I'm doing it right now because it's where it works for me. And um, I did talk to some other labels who were interested in the album, but it just like no one. I don't know. It didn't. It just didn't click, and that's fine. You know, it's just it's kind of like trying to choose like who your coworkers are or like who you want to invest your your time in and. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. I've just always done a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It's not, it doesn't feel, it actually is less work, even though it is a lot of work. I'm still working less than I've ever worked before. Okay. Um, yeah, just because I don't have a second job. Now I just get to focus on this one. Right. On the new album, Dishonorable Harvest, you know, there's an unabashedly political tone to a lot of the songs on this one, like uh, Advanced State of Decay and one of my favorites in the record, which was Woman in Jeans. Is that something that comes pretty naturally to you in your songwriting, or did you have sort of a deliberate mindset of wanting to explore some of these topics on this album? Um, 
I think both. Um, I got really interested in political songwriting in college. Um, I was like a history uh, major. And so history and, you know, women and gender studies. And so I um, started writing political songs in college because I got really into like union history and the Red Scare and that kind of thing. And got really into artists who also wrote about that thing. And so I think that's always been a part of what I do. And I think I've always had a, like a slant of like, you know, of being aware of either politics or social, um, kind of like cultural, uh, phenomena. I kind of want to say if that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's just something that I'm just inherently interested in. I read about it all the time. You know, I, I listen to other artists who are political. But then I also, like, this album, I think I had a, I don't know, I had a chance to, A, work with someone like Chris, um, Chris T.T., who is a political songwriter in England and has been for many years. And um, I was kind of like, hey, I need a mentor <laughs> or like, I would like a mentor. I mean, I really like your songwriting. Like I would like to move in this like very clear direction of writing a somewhat political album and not even somewhat it's a, it's very political. And he was super encouraging with that. So I think that that helped me kind of, it kind of pulled out like what I already wanted to say, but I wasn't really sure how, or maybe I didn't have the confidence to, um, but I think that, you know, having someone be like, you can totally do this, you should do that, like definitely helped me write the album the way that I did. Um, and yeah, at the time I was just really into like, I mean, I was already writing about politics like before Trump was elected, but then especially after Trump was elected, was writing even more. And um, yeah, just decided with this album to make it like a very kind of not super clear narrative, but you know, somewhat of a narrative of um, gender politics and, and um, like environmentalism. Like I would say those are the two main themes of the album and also like, like technological kind of uh, Big Brother type stuff. <laughs> like it's pretty dystopian. That's true. <laughs> um, there's some 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 of some parts of it are pretty dystopian. Um, others are not. But I know like songs about the earthquake and like what a time, right, to be releasing an album. <laughs> like I was gonna say. <laughs> I don't know, and I you know I didn't plan that, so obviously. Um, but my band's mates the other day, and they were like, "Olivia, your album is like all about crisis." <laughs> and now it's just you're going to release it during one of the major crises of like the 21st century and I'm like yep <laughs> cool it's going to happen wonderful timing uh, everybody I guess so Pangea was a supercontinent and I'm a mediocre driver and there's a baby born every second I can brush my teeth with either hand. I think it's cool when um, music can speak to like a larger, you know, 
social theme. I also really like musicians and songwriters who write about very personal things, but um, I tend to just not. I tend to write about other weird things. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So again, the album Dishonorable Harvest is going to be out on May 1st through Olivia's own label, which has the wonderful name Quick Pickle. Uh, I, I do want to know, where did that come from? Oh, um, I quick pickled some pickles, or like some, <laughs> some cucumbers. Okay, <laughs> so that's all, that's all it was. <laughs> and my housemates are really into pickling, and I couldn't think of a name, and then I was like, how about quick pickle records? And people were like, that's funny. And then and that's how it happened. <laughs> Perfect. And <laughs> I drew a little logo, and then that's it. Wow. Sometimes so. it is something really simple like that. I don't know why I thought it was something more complicated. No, it's just like, I don't know. I, it sounded nice. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded cute. Yeah. Well, as you said, yeah. uh, you were booked to play the Tree Fort Music Fest. That has been rescheduled. Are you going to be on the bill for that again? And do you have other shows that on the horizon that you were hoping will happen? Uh, yes. And yes. Um, well, yeah. Well, I guess it's all we'll see. But for now, yeah, we're rebooked. Or, you know, we're still booked to play Tree Fort. So we will still play in September. Um, and... It'll just be tricky. We were going to be touring in the UK and in Europe at that time, so it might require some weird flights that might happen. Anyway, but we'll work it out. Um, But yeah, we'll we'll play that. And I mean, I hate to announce anything right now because I just don't know. We are booked at the Doug Fur to play April 19th for our album release show. I I don't know if yeah. we will have that. Um, I hope so. And that's I really hope so. And I'm hope you know I just I think it's a one day at a time kind of thing. Right now the Doug Fur is closed until April 14th. Um, and I'm yeah I'm hoping our the show will go on. But obviously if it's not safe then we'll we'll replan it. We'll rebook it. Um, but we um also just got into Sled Island so we'll be playing like the Sled Island Festival in Calgary in, in June and um, we'll, we will be touring the whole West Coast too just I think it's I've we're rebooking it right now for the fall so um, anyway everything just seems so far away <laughs> but yeah well everyone my show show announcements now okay well everyone yeah. can uh follow olivia aubrey on facebook and go to oliviaaubrey.bandcamp.com right now you can pre-order the album and you can get more information about the uh, sh- upcoming shows through that are you on twitter as well yeah um it's just at olivia aubrey Fair and aubrey is spelled with a w right a w B-R-E-Y. It's a thing that my family did like centuries ago. Don't know why they did that, but (laughs) that's how you spell Aubrey. Excellent. Well, Olivia, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for the questions and um, yeah, just sending out best wishes to everybody. It's your boy, Young Julius. Baby. 
Experimental musician and producer Jan Julius is part of a new wave of artists bubbling up in recent years that have been presenting some vital messages into the pop landscape. Since the release of their first single, Torches, in early 2017, Jan has used their art to wrestle with some serious issues of gender fluidity and sexuality, and the often emotional cost that can come from being completely and wholly yourself. That they are able to land these messages alongside more playful tunes about sex and, as the title of their most recent EP calls it, Easy Intimacy, is a testament to how well thought out this material is. And the fact that most of their music is catchy and super fun to dance to is just icing on the cake. Jan also works in the worlds of sound art, as proven by an amazing performance they did as part of this year's Winter Light Festival, and was all set to continue expanding on their live performances at what was going to be a set opening for Jamandria Harris at the Old Church in recent weeks. So far that show has been rescheduled for the summer, so fingers crossed that it actually comes to pass. As their star continues to rise here in Portland, it was the perfect time to call up Jan Julius on Skype to find out more about how they found their sound and how they are able to work these heady issues into short, club-ready pop tunes. Jan Julius, thank you so much for being on World of Noise today. Thanks for having me. I want to start off with the uh, the obvious question of how this quarantine has affected you and your work. Yeah, um, I guess the immediate thing that's affected me and I feel like every other artist I know is just show cancellations. Um, I was going to open for Dorian Electra in Seattle on the was that the twelfth. And that got canceled because of Seattle being such a hotspot for the coronavirus. And then I had a show that was supposed to be on the 26th with Jamandria Harris and Kevin Holden at the Old Church that also got canceled. Um, and I was planning a little East Coast tour potentially for May that I'm putting on hold for now. Wow. Uh, tell me about what you had planned for the old church so, show because that's uh, that's quite uh, an, a um, the word I'm looking for here quite quite a venue for what you're going to be presenting I would think. Yeah, uh, I was really excited for that, and it looks like it's going to get rescheduled to July. I think it's the 10th, but, um, but I mean we're going to see how everything goes with the pandemic, but currently the idea but so yeah i was really excited for that jamandria uh invited me to play that um who's one of my favorite artists around and my plan was going to have uh, collaborating with some artist friends um solomon leba in new york was going to do some visuals for me and going to have two dancers um annabelle blue was going to do the choreography for me so I have kind of a whole pop stage performance at the old church that feels like a, a fairly new thing, like bringing other people into the fold and sort of, you know, building out this performance. Because all the other footage I've seen of you performing live has just been you. Yeah, yeah. And how is that to, to, to transition into doing these more sort of fuller performances with dancers and everything? Uh, definitely a little bit. Uh, I don't know if scary is the right word. But, like, this has been... I, this started out as such a solo project, and as it's, I've like continued with it. I've tried to include more people and incorporate uh, more collaboration. And so this was kind of the next step for that. It's like 
having a little budget for this show and wanting to reach out to friends and see if I could make something that I wouldn't be able to do just on my own. When you are looking for people to collaborate with, I mean, what, what are you looking for? Is it just people that you admire, friends of yours? What's the, what's the decision-making process there? I think it's a few different things. Um, part of it is like, is having a chemistry with that person, like creative or personal, um, and appreciating their work and feeling like they have something that I would like to I guess would like to incorporate into my work. So kind of that inspiration and personal connection. Okay. Now I'd spend, I've been spending some time uh, with your latest release, Easy Intimacy. And, you know, there are songs on here like James Duvall after nowhere uh, that feel really, you know, boldly sexual right next to songs like the onus, which to my ears, at least uh, seems to be wrestling with, you know, bigger is- issues of gender and sexuality. Is it kind of important to you to have both of those elements be part of your work right now? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think sex and gender are things I think about a lot and are like how I experience the world. Um, And so in my work, I'm trying to present my own ideas and also like push things a little bit. James Duvall, I wrote uh, when I started experimenting with men in my like sex life and was watching Greg Araki movies. It's the James Duvall after nowhere title. Um, and so that was like, I think playing with my own sexual presentation in the songs. And also I think the way I, the role that I play in that song of being a little more submissive, being a little yearning. Um, yeah. And then on the onus was, I think, playing with similar ideas, but on a different scale or in a different stage, maybe a more apocalyptic angle. That just makes me think of how the, the how you're presenting yourself into the world, especially on stage, where there's this dual form, I feel like, happening, where you're wearing clothing that, uh, you know, is traditionally, you know, feminine clothing, but you're also on stage with a mustache, which is, of course, a traditionally <laughs> male uh, facial hair feature. So it's interesting to... to to see that happening on stage and what was the what was the thinking behind that i mean part of it is uh i just i like my mustache i I started i realized i could grow a mustache in 2016 um and just kind of like how my upper lip looks with it (laughs) something that simple then (laughs) yeah and then i think wanting to have increasingly feminine or like gender fluid presentation but liking the idea of retaining this confusing element. So I'm not looking 100% femme, but I'm also not looking totally mask. How did you arrive at your sound? I think uh, a lot of messing around. Um, I use Logic to record all my tunes. And it just it came out of, I think, listening to a lot of, having a lot of 
different influences and trying to recreate those sounds and not being able to quite recreate those sounds, but finding something that was maybe more interesting to me and expanding on that. What were your influences then that you were looking towards? Uh, I think when I started out, I would say my main few influences were, I don't know, like the producer and singer Arca, Frank Ocean, um, Jalen, and then just like SoundCloud rap, bedroom pop stuff. People that use a lot of auto-tune and have kind of lo-fi beats. Yeah, around, uh, at least listening to the stuff that's available, you know, it feels like around the time of 2017 when you released End Loan, you did start incorporating uh, auto-tune into your vocals. Don't call me son, I can't find my god light. I am the double who took over your life. I've got my studs down, shoes tied tight. Having a good time, I don't know where, but I hope um, Was that something you always wanted to do, or is this something really decisive about moving that direction? It was, I th so I started out on my first release on Death for Julius. I have vocal processing stuff. Um, so I just, I, I didn't like the sound of my voice that much. I wanted to, I, the first songs I made that I've never, have not released and will not release um, <laughs> were more straightforward, like bedroom R&B. And I didn't like how my voice sounded when I was trying to sing R&B songs. And so I'd put on stuff that sounded like auto-tune and different filters to try and come on, have a voice that I liked the sound of. And then that kind of naturally progressed into using auto-tune and modulation like that. Are you, and most of this is you're creating on your own, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for End Loan and Easy Intimacy, I went in to the the Clark Northeast, which is Skelly Skell's studio, and recorded with him. But I produced everything else myself. That's really cool. So let's get a sense now of your background. I mean, where do you come from? So I grew up in Southern Oregon, down in Ashland. And I was like, I was really into music as a teenager. I had a radio show on KSKQ, the local radio station. I worked at the Music Coop, which is this little record store there. Oh, yeah. And I had an indie rock band. Wow. What sort of stuff were you playing on your on your radio show back then? All kinds of things. Um, like I, my, I started out with a lot of classic rock and then discovering indie rock and some experimental stuff. And so over the course of the four years that I did the show, I think my music taste really diversified and also listening to the other DJs on the station and taking a lot of mp3s from the station music library um, started listening to more hip-hop like outcast and the roots were big like moving me out of strictly indie rock classic rock um, yeah I feel like I'm working in the record store I got exposed to a lot of classic soul and R&B um, started branching out into other like electronic music genres. Got into Flying Lotus really hard. Yeah, when did you start? You said you were playing in an indie rock band in Ashland. Was there a point where you made a switch of wanting to start making more, you know, pop and the sound of what we're hearing now and your in your solo material? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a long process. I think um, the the band was super important to me in high school. It was like, yeah, I, I was my favorite thing. Um, and I was really passionate about it. And then I moved up to Portland and 
when I was living in Ashland, Portland was the big city to me. Um, like Ashland, you don't get that many concerts. Like Built to Spill came through town one time, and I like was the first person at the uh, the venue. Even though I didn't really know Built to Spill's music that much, I was like, oh, I know this is a cool band, and there's finally a cool band in Ashland that's an all ages show. Um, so I was really excited to move to Portland, and I got up here and I was going to school at Reed, and couldn't didn't really find anyone to make music with, and then started questioning whether like I should even be making music. Um, so like, did I have anything to say or contribute to the world? And so I just kind of stopped making music for several years and then didn't start till probably, yeah, it was like 2016. I was working at a coffee shop. I'd graduated, was very depressed, knew I needed something other than just working and playing video games and hanging out with friends. Um, and started working on music again. Wow. When did you get to a point where you found a song that you felt really good about that you were like, I really want people to hear this? Mm, I think I had two moments like that. The first one was Torches, which is the first Jan Julius song I put out. And that one, I like recorded it in a very short amount of time. I just knew that it was important that I put something out there to feel excited about, even if it wasn't, even if I hadn't spent very much time on it. Um, so I put that song out and I was like, that was exciting. And then after that is the song Death for Julius, where I was like, okay, this is really coming together. I have something that I'm proud of. Yeah, Death for Julius is such a powerful piece of music um, where you're really speaking to um, your parents, I think, in parts of this. And, and really, you know, mm -hmm. uh, as the, the, I'm probably going to butcher the lyric here about not wanting to make your parents upset anymore, essentially. Um, how did that feel to get that out of you in this musical form? So that, I think that was uh, the beat I'd spent. I guess I'd messed around with the beat like a year or two prior so one day one summer i was like i should get back into making music and i took a tab of acid and sat in my backyard and tried to make music on my computer and nothing came out of it at the time but that was the start of the beat for that song um so i went back to it like a year say i guess a year later and worked on the beat and started adding more elements and then improvised most of the lyrics in like one go and i tweaked them so it's not the first take you're hearing on the record okay I'm much more of a perfectionist than that but most <laughs> most of the lyrics and melody came from my like initial recording Back this time. 
And that was one of the tracks that started to get some attention outside of Portland. You know, you were written up on tiny mixtapes. Yeah. uh, How was that to to have someone knocking on your door that way? It was so exciting. I I put out my three-song Death for Julius project and got really depressed. I, I mean, I was already depressed. And then... I was like, we're working on this project for several months and very excited. And I sent all these emails to blogs, like, hey, I'm you know, learning how to do my own press releases and stuff. And I put it out and I was reading 1Q84 by Haruki Murakami. And I finished that book on the day I put it out and just felt like there was this void in my life suddenly. And I was feeling really bad about everything for about a month. And then that tiny mixtapes right up came out and just like, I guess it I reignited my excitement. I was like, oh, like aside from my few friends that are really supportive of my music, there's someone else that hears this and likes what I'm doing. And that felt really good. That's wonderful. When did performing live become part of this project? So I performed a couple of times before Easy Intimacy came out. I did a show at my house before I dropped End Loan. Um, I did, I played James Duvall at, before it came out at, um, one of the Doug open mics. Those, I don't know if you went to any of those, but there are this wonderful series of house shows. Um, or I guess they weren't just house shows. They were all around. There were these open mic big events. Um, I played at one of the last one of those. No, and, I, I had no idea about those. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah, they were really wonderful. Uh, Mia and Medina um, and Janessa were all like running Doug. And there were a bunch of other folks too. I can't get all their names in there. But <laughs> really wonderful community. Was that a very comfortable thing for you performing live? Do you feel like do you have that sort of personality? Uh, I get so anxious every time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. I've got like, as I've played out more, the anxiety lessens thank goodness but i remember that time i was just like shaking but it's it's the kind of thing where my my desire to do it and my wanting to perform overrides my anxiety thankfully because it's worth it every time even if i don't feel like it's a great performance now alongside the more pop element you have delved into more experimental work like I've heard a bit of that in the on the Death of Julius EP there's the track Susan Ashworth that fills in this vein Uh, but there's a performance out there that you did uh, very recently as part of the, I think it was the Winter Light Festival, uh, where you played yeah. alongside uh, Patricia Wolf. Um, and you know, it doesn't feel that removed from what you're doing, uh, you know, with this more pop stuff. But uh, is that something that you have always wanted to have, sort of that element of, of your sound to be more experimental and just to have that outlet? Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like a lot of. I for a while I was calling my stuff experimental pop, which I still sometimes call it. But um, I like I think I have some insecurities about 
it's not that experimental compared to a lot of other stuff and like it might come from an experimental place but like the end it sounds like some kind of pop music but at the same time i wanted to mess around with some more experimental sounds and things outside of like a pop song structure like i wanted to make a like 10 minute song um and so that was part of that that's part, that part of the winter light event mm-hmm. okay yeah i think i gravitate towards when i have like a really good melody that i like or an element i'm like okay like how can i make this into a catchy pop song and with that i was like i had all these sounds and i was like i'm not gonna try and make it into something concise i'm gonna let it breathe i'm gonna mess around with it do things that might get boring and just see how it goes well, as you said on, uh, you said that Easy Intimacy uh, was recorded with Skelly Skell at the Clart. How did you hook up with Skelly Skell to start working with them? So I knew Skelly through um, the Renaissance Coalition and Grape God, or some local rappers. Right. Because um, I, had, when I was at Reed, I booked some hip hop shows, and so I got to know a lot of those folks, and. Yeah, I had liked the sound of the Grape God recordings that Skelly had done and hit him up over email. And he was great to work with. He's like very professional, but also like a really relaxed person. Um, has I haven't been to his studio for since I recorded Easy Intimacy. But he's always like the difference between recording and loan and easy intimacy with him was huge. Just he was great both times, but he had so much more he just knew what he was doing so much more and was even better the next time. So excited to work with him again. Excellent. Um, now, you know, he's just listed on here as just, a, you know, recording this, uh, the EP, Easy Intimacy and End Loan. Did you, did you uh, look to Skelly to, to help shape some of these songs or did you have a pretty clear vision of what you wanted them to sound like as you were working on them? I came in with a pretty clear vision. Um but then his like mixing acumen, I think, really brought them to life. Yeah, I think w- whenever I'm recording songs, I like there's the song itself, and but then there's also the way I hear it in my head, which you know I can never have an objective view. I'm sh- I think that's true of a lot of folks. You can never perfectly hear what your sound song sounds like, and so it was nice to have Skelly come in and. I think bring out what I wanted the songs to sound like or how I felt like they sounded like in my head already. And how was it then to work in other people's uh, elements of this? Because, you know, on the, on the easy intimacy, you're working with Marisol, you've got uh, the artist Vanilla Sex playing piano on the song Swallow, and you've got an artist Catherine on there. And was that something where you knew you needed an extra element or did that change this, the sound of those songs as they started to add what they brought to it? Yeah, um, I really wanted to work with some other folks. Um, I feel like the themes of that album, in part, are like trying to break out of solitude. Or I feel like my first couple releases were very much about wrestling with the depression and solitude and that sort of thing. And I wanted these to be like slightly more communal efforts, um, but it definitely changed the feeling of the songs. Like. Yeah, I am kind of a 
by a, a little bit of a control freak maybe with my stuff <laughs> or a perfectionist and so it was like trying to let go a little bit and just let these contributions breathe Last now you've mentioned a couple times uh, along the way you talked about dealing with uh, your depression. Uh, how is that? How are you wrestling with that? How are you dealing with that these days? I think I'm doing well, a lot better with it now. Um, yeah, I I think a big part of that has been playing out and feeling like I'm part of a musical community. Like I've been going to shows for years, but I am kind of I'm a little shy in public, and so it, I think playing shows and like having to engage with people and having to or wanting to like make connections has been really helpful to me where I feel like I've made a lot more friends and feel like a part of a community of people that I really care about and who like care about me. And I think that's been, that's worked wonders for my mental health. Now, before we got on the mic, you said that you've been spending some of your quarantine time working on music. Where does this project go from here? What comes next? So the next thing I'm, working on putting together what i think is going to be an album beyond an ep like probably i don't i don't want to count my chickens before they've hatched or anything but like eight or nine songs um i think it's going to be called meat shot idyllic and yeah i've been working on that for pretty much all of 20 most of 2019 and this new year and trying to focus in on that during this quarantine. And I've been playing a lot of those songs out live. I've got, I think, five that I've performed so far and continuing to fine-tune them. Excellent. Well, I look forward to hearing that. And if anyone listening wants to hear any of Jan Julius's music, janjulius.bandcamp.com is the place to find that, or you can find them on SoundCloud and Instagram. Uh, Jan, thank you so much for taking some time to talk about your music today. This was a treat. Oh, thank you, Bob. That's it for this edition of World of Noise. Thanks again to Olivia Aubrey and Jan Julius for being my guests, and thank you for listening. Be sure to come back next week. I'll be speaking with the brand new folk duo Siren Songs, a new project of longtime friends that is set to release their first album next month, as well as the new age slash ambient musician Chris Russell, who has just released a new collection of gorgeous, soothing soundscapes through local label Spotted Peccary Music. All that next week on World of Noise. Until then, thanks for listening.